Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 14. We're in Acts chapter 14. We're looking at verses 24 through 28. We've been making our way through the book of Acts. And at this point in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas and a team of people have gone out on their first missionary journey. And this really is the end of that first missionary journey. There are threes. There are three of these. So this is, we're coming to the end of it now. Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 24, says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there remained no little time with the disciples. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. We need it. Help us to understand your word. Lord, help us to understand what you want for us. We pray that you would teach us, that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's, we'll do it like an exercise here. You fill in the blank in your mind, not out loud. Fill in the blank, all right, when you hear this question. My faith is, there's the blank. My faith is, now maybe some of you would say my faith is non-existent, right? Maybe some of you would say my faith is real. Maybe my faith is strong. Or maybe my faith is weak. My faith is frail. We've all been there. Some of us are there now. Maybe you'd say my, 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 my faith is bold. I wonder how many of us would say, as we start to press in deeper to it, what, how else would we describe our faith? How many of us would say that our, our faith is vocal? See, I, th I think a lot of us are, are raised in the faith to understand our faith is precious. And by our faith, I mean our faith, the dependency that we have on Christ, right? There's a difference between the faith and our faith. The faith is the doctrine, the content, the object of our faith, right? It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our faith is our dependency on him. And we understand that like our faith, a gift from God is meant to be, is, is meant to be treasured. We value it. But do we know that our faith is supposed to be vocalized, a very part of the faith and our faith is that it is supposed to be articulated, shared. Our faith is, in a very real sense, both personal and public. It's both. It's not just personal. It is personal, but it is also meant to be public. The people around us need to hear the faith, and oftentimes the testimony or the word that we get to share is really connected to our faith. And I think that there is, certainly in, in our sort of network of Christians and churches, our tribe, our people, our community, our culture, however you want to perceive it or articulate it, we need some help at turning up the volume on our faith. Some people need to crank it way down because they're super loud and obnoxious and they're not doing it right, okay? But I think in, in our particular context, many of us, most of us could probably do with turning it up 
a little bit. Here's the principle that I want us to see in this passage. One principle, right? Main idea. This is what I want us to see. Our Christian testimony is about God and not ourselves. And I want us to look at this because if we're beginning to talk about the the loudness or the volume or the vocalization, the articulation of our faith, we need to be careful that we're doing it right. And this is the principle that will guard us. Our Christian testimony is about God. It is not about us. So here's what we're going to do as we look at this passage. First, we're going to look at the passage very simply in two parts. In verses 24 through 26, I want us to look at God's work in our work. In the book of Acts, you see uh, the apostles doing a lot, but it's always very clear that whatever they're doing, God is doing something in them and in that work. So I want us to see God's work in our work. And then secondly, when they go and they report back, I want us to see God's work in our words, right? What Christian testimony really is and how we go about it. So after we do that, then I want to give us uh, you know, four ways in which we can practically testify as Christians, right? Turn off that volume. That's where we're going. Okay. First, God's work in our work, verses 24 through 26. So in verses 24 through 26, we see that they're passing through these places, right? Pisidia, Pamphylia, uh, they've spoken the word in Perga, and then they went down to Italia. So what's happening, if you're looking on the map, they're coming to this, really to the end of this missionary journey. They're going south now, back to the port, right? Back to the ocean. They're going all the way down, and when they get to Italia, they're going to set sail to go back to Antioch. There are two Antiochs. They're going back to the Antioch in Syria. That's where they were sent from. They're going home. First missionary journey, boom, complete, right? Pretty big success, too, because they've been preaching the gospel. They've been making disciples. They've been establishing churches. So they're continuing to do the things that they've been called to do, even as they're moving south. And they have been faithful. And they've been fruitful. Although in, this, in these verses, we don't really read anything about them planting churches, and we don't know if that's because Luke's just going fast and skipping over things, or it's because at this point they weren't seeing the, they didn't have the ability to actually establish churches yet. Nevertheless, they're coming to the end of faithful work where they have genuinely been working, preaching, teaching specifically, preaching, teaching, establishing churches. And what we need to see that the apostles clearly understood, that Paul clearly understood, is that Anytime we are working, accomplishing work for God, anytime we are doing good work or good works, the Bible calls them, God is at work in it. So I want us to see three things in this, right? How God is at work in our work. Number one, God prepares our good works for us. Right? This past week, I was spending time in the Second London Confession. It's the old Baptist Confession of Faith. Uh, most of you know that uh, we use that a lot here, and I love it. Um, and chapter 16 is on good works. And what it establishes is that, well, good works are only those things that are contained in the Word of God. Anybody else coming up with things for you to do, they might be okay to do, uh, but they are not from the Bible, and we should not equate them with God's Word, God's command, or these good works. They might, they're simply coming from enthusiastic, passionate people, but it's not the same. So good works, we know that good works are only those things that are contained in the Word of God. But when I say that God prepares our good works for us, I'm not simply saying that he has them contained in the Word of God. I'm saying that he has mapped out our days so that the particular good works that we do see in Scripture are applicable to our very specific lives. 
So how do we see God at work in our work? He prepares our good works for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So think about that. We are his workmanship. That means that we are recreated in Christ Jesus. It means born again, right? We are born again, made new. We are made new creatures. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. And what are we made for? We are made for good works. That's what it says in Ephesians 2.10. We are created for good works that we should walk in. But Paul tells us that these were prepared beforehand, that they were laid out before us. So whatever your life, whatever your circumstance, whatever your environment is, you could be a student, uh, you could be a professional, uh, you can be going to work, you could be staying at home, you could be very, very busy, you could have too much time on your hand, uh, you could be flooded with friends and fellowship, or you could be alone. Whatever your circumstances, every day, mapped out by the hand of God are good works for you to walk in. It's important for us to understand this, that like any good works that we actually walk in and are, are, are faithful to are not only prescribed, prescribed by God's word, but they are planted in our very lives by God's design. So that's number one. We see God's work in our work by him preparing our good works, but we also see God's work in our work because he equips us to do those things. God doesn't just say, all right, here's what I want you to do. Good luck. He says, here's what I want you to do. And now I'm going to give you the strength and the energy and the power to actually do that thing. Because on your own, you're going to mess that up. But with God's grace, you can actually do it. You think, you think Paul was successful as a missionary because he was awesome? Paul was a dope, right? like, like everybody else, right? He was a sinner, okay? Now, sure, he was talented, he was gifted, all these things, but it doesn't matter how talented, gifted, or smart you are. That's not going to make you fruitful before God. Only the grace of God and the divine empowerment of God will make you fruitful. So, God equips us for these good works. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It's a benediction. We use it quite a bit here at Redeemer. We use a benediction. We use scripture, uh, many different scriptures for our benedictions. This is a popular one, Hebrews 13, starting in verse 20. A benediction is a, is a prayer for God's grace to be upon the people at the end of a service, okay? Here's the benediction. You've heard, if you've been at Redeemer, you've heard it. Now may the grace... I'm sorry. Now be the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. May the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. How is it that we can walk in the ways of God, do the good works he's called us to do? It is because he equips us. He is a God of grace, a God of peace. He establishes us, empowers us to do them. So God prepares good works for us. Then he equips us with divine power to actually do them. And then also we need to consider that whenever we are faithfully executing the tasks of God, right? Whenever we are doing the work of God, that is actually God working in us. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so there's the idea, obey, obeying God, being faithful in the good works that God has called us to do. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, 
So there's the work, right? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So your fervent, enthusiastic, faithful work for the Lord when you are being obedient to the commands of God, never perfectly, of course, but truly from a place of faith, when you are doing that, that is God at work in you, moving you to will and to work. He's moving your heart. He's, in, he, he's lifting you up. He's inspiring you, not in the sense that you can write scripture, right? He's moving you, compelling you. He is at work in you, yes, your work for the Lord is a result of God's work in you. This is God's work in our work. Think about it like this. Our faithful work for the Lord, whatever we're called to do. And by the way, faithful work for the Lord isn't necessarily vocational missionary enterprise. It can be as simple as being kind to your neighbor, forgiving people that have sinned against you. That's the work of God. Whatever the work of God is, when we are engaging in good works, it is a combination of, it's like a combination of grind and grace. You know what grind is. It's hard. Sense in which the, the, the Christian life is hard, man. You know, it's hard to forgive your neighbor. Uh, it's hard to love your enemy, right? To be patient in affliction, to suffer without complaint. The Christian life can be difficult, challenging, a grind. We're supposed to put to death the deeds of the body, right? We're supposed to deny ourselves to take up our cross and follow Jesus. I mean, think about it. There is a grind to it. It is hard. The Christian life is not easy itself, right? But it's not just a grind. There is effort that must be engaged in in the Christian life, but it's not just a grind. It's also grace because God empowers us to actually do it. In fact, there is, um, there's a passage in Colossians chapter, chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 that, that, that showcase this. These are the verses that actually led me into ministry. These are verses that God continues to use to, to keep me on track with where I think healthy ministry lies. But in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, the Apostle Paul says this, speaking about Jesus, him, Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, grind. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. So you can see there's both aspects of this here, both grind and grace, both our works or his work and God's work. What does he say? We proclaim, right? Jesus, we proclaim, we warn, we teach. Why? So that we may present everyone mature. That's the goal. He understands like we have a lot to do. God's tasked us. He's given us these responsibilities. There are good works that we're supposed to walk in. So he's like, yes, we are going to do these things. And it's hard. I toil. I grind it out, but not on my own, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For your work to be worthy of testifying, you have to see God's work in it. 
It's not just you. It certainly isn't about you. Good works are a combination of effort and grind and help and grace. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and, by his, and his grace toward me was, was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See, Paul had this keen understanding. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of sacrifice. The Christian life, faithless, is hard. It's challenging, but it's possible with God's grace. So God's work in our work, we need to see that if we're going to testify properly. God's work in our work. And then here in verses 27 through 28, we read about Paul and the team testifying. And here we see God's work in our words. So in verses 27 and 28, it says that, well, they, they finally arrive. They're back in Antioch. They gather the church together, and they declare all that God had done with them and how he has opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So they get back, and they're not talking about themselves. They're not bragging on what they've done. They are boasting in what God has done. They can't stop talking about all that God accomplished and that God opened the door. Listen, whenever we see testimonies being given in the book of Acts, it's always, can you believe what God did? We did not expect this to happen, but he opened the door to the Gentiles. So now these non-Jews are embracing this message. They're embracing a Jewish savior, the Messiah. So that's what they're saying. They're over and over again. Look at what God has done. They don't show up. They're not bragging on like, hey, listen, man, here's all the things that we did. We were faithful and we pulled it off. You know, we had a, we had a compelling uh, vision and organizational structure. And, uh, and those things are good. They're not bad. But they're not boasting in all the things that they did. They are bragging and boasting on what God happened to accomplish. And this is important. Boasting in God, not in themselves. And this is where we see a model of testimony. A model of testimony. Christians giving testimony or testifying. Now, I can see in many of our circles, or at least the, the circles that I'm connected to, that some of us, many of us, are quiet. We're not, we're not as prone to testify. Right? We're not as prone to articulate God's work. And there are different reasons for this, right? Like sometimes, like if you've been a part of a church, like there are some churches that will have like a, a testimony time. I used to go to this church, they had a testimony time. The pastor would hold the mic and be like, all right, who's got a word? Who's got a word? Who's got a testimony? Who wants to testify? And people would be like, oh, I got to testify. So they bring over the mic and they give it to them and then they start to testify. Now, what it's supposed to be is, oh, here is an articulation of what God is doing. And we're going to talk about how we do that. But oftentimes, you may have experienced this, oftentimes when people are testifying, they're not talking about God. They're talking about themselves. They're bragging. They're making a big deal about who they are and what they've experienced. I mean, it's, it's very much about them. If it, if, we, if it touches on how they have changed, it is on how they have changed. It's not on how God has brought about change. Maybe you've seen that. And so there are different reasons why some people will be reluctant to testify, to share. Uh, I think we could just say very simply, uh, some people don't testify because they're afraid. Some people don't testify because they're ignorant. And some people don't testify because they're just inactive, right? And so what I mean is, is you might be afraid to testify because you don't want to get it wrong. You've seen it done wrong before. You don't want to look like a, an arrogant jerk talking about something that you've done. So maybe you're a little afraid, or maybe you're just nervous about talking to people in general about something very personal, 
Some people are, are, are not prone to testify because they're ignorant. That's not a slam. It, sometimes we don't know stuff. I'm ignorant about a whole lot of things. That's okay. You just don't know. And if you haven't seen good examples of it, if you haven't been taught how to do it, then you, you're going to have a difficult time testifying. Right? We're hopefully, we're going to try and remedy some of that today. And if you are generally inactive, that means you are not actively seeking to understand uh, or to see the work of God. If you're not in the word, uh, not trying to be faithful, then yeah, that your inactivity is going to lead you to have very little to say. So what I want us to see is how do we actually testify? So we're going to define it. What, is it, what, is, what does it mean to testify? What is a testimony? And then I'm going to give you four ways in which we can do it practically. So first, what is a testimony? What does it mean? I'll define it like this. It is to share with others the work of God that you have seen or experienced. A proper Christian testimony is not what you have done. It ain't about you. Our Christian testimony is about God, not ourselves, right? That's the theme, you remember? So a proper Christian testimony is to share with others the work of God that you have seen or experienced. So you can see it's, there's always a personal element to this. There's always going to be something very personal about it, but it's something that you are vocalizing. We have to have a vocal faith. And when you see examples of testimony throughout Scripture, you see this very thing, sharing with others what God has done. For example, Luke chapter 8, verse 39. You can just listen. Luke 8, 39. This is when Jesus has healed a man that was oppressed by demons, right? Crazy stuff going on. Jesus heals him, and then what does Jesus say? Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And so what does this guy do? He went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Just take note. Just take note. Jesus said, tell everybody what God has done for you. And he talks about Jesus. He's not confused about it. He understands, oh, Jesus is God in the flesh. He healed me. But this is, this is what testimony is. Return to your home and declare what God has done for you. And to return to your home, that doesn't just mean, hey, just go back to your, your, uh, your apartment. Right? It doesn't just mean go back, go back to your, your, your condo or to your house. It means go back to your life. Go back to your, the way that you live. I want you to go back there and there in your life, in that environment, you need to begin to tell people what God has done for you. That's your responsibility, your gift, your opportunity as a follower of Jesus now. You testify. We read about it in like Psalm 66. Psalm 66, verse 16. Here's the attitude of the one who wants to testify. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. There is an eagerness an interest in sharing what God has done for us personally, like in our hearts, how he has brought about change, how he has taught us, and we'll talk about all of this, but this is what testimony really looks like, to share with others what God has been doing, the work of God. So let's talk about testimony practiced. What does it look like? What are some ways we can do it? Hopefully this will point us in the right direction here. Four ways. All right? Testimony is practiced, number one, when we share what God has done in creation. Right? What God has done in creation. And what I mean by this is uh, what, what the activity or the work of God throughout the world, right, and in your life that isn't necessarily connected to the local church or the realm of faith and redemption. Right? I mean, it's all connected for us, but I mean, like, what is God's work? You can think of things like origin. Where did we come from? Right? So that relates to science, really. 
Like, so, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. People are made in the image of God. When you start to talk about who we are and where we came from, you are giving testimony to what God has done in creation. But you can talk about origin. You can talk about the beauty of creation. Right? When, we, when we talk about the beauty of creation, we can, just, we can be silent about it and just be like, man, beautiful sunset. Or we can say, whoa, the, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. You see, we are so unaccustomed to testifying publicly that it feels unnatural and cheesy to us. It feels weird. Like we're trying to force something, but faith actually sees it. Our problem isn't so much that we don't see it as much as we just don't say what we see. So yes, the, whether we're talking about origins or the beauty of creation, we can talk about provision, how God provides in our lives and his providential care for us. This is a common way that people can talk about, that the people of faith can talk about uh, God's work in creation publicly. When we begin to share, look at what God has done for me. Look at how God has providentially rescued me from the trouble that I was in. Look at how God has met my needs when I was desperate. If you begin to think back throughout your life, can I articulate some of those key moments when God has clearly provided for me, when I didn't know what to do, you'll find them. And then if you begin to think more deeply about it, you'll see that, like, wow, in between those major events, there is a long, continuous, running work of God in my life, constantly meeting my needs and providing for me. It made me think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Here's the testimony. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. God is a God who preserves, providentially rules over. He's a God of provision. Now, if you are going to testify to what God has done in creation, you actually have to see what God has done in creation, which means you have to pay attention. Because the easy thing to see in the world is the corruption, the despair, the death, the disappointment, the betrayal, right? All the bad things are easy to see because they're right in your face. What you have to actually look for to see are all the ways in which God is at work. John Piper's a weird guy. I like him. I like him. He says some really, really good things, and then he says some things that are like, I'm like, ooh, quiet down, dude. That's a little weird. But a guy that's been faithfully used by, by the Lord, he's been, he's been used for in so many people's lives, instrumental in my life. I'm grateful for him. One of the things that I love that John Piper said that was super enlightening for me, because it's such a reflection of what Scripture says in a, in a summary statement, he said, at any given moment in your life, the Lord is doing over a million different things. You'll be aware of a couple of them. I love that because it's true. What I need to do is I need to begin to look for all of the things that God is doing. And I'm never going to see them all, but I can see more than I'm seeing right now. If I will open my eyes and start to pay attention. If you want to share or testify what God is doing in creation, then you have to see it. You have to see it before you can share it. You have to be aware. And when you are aware, then yes, you can begin to share. You can testify. It's okay. Listen, your friends, they know you're Christian. They're not going to be weirded out if you say things like, man, I'm just, I'm so grateful to God. Uh, that the taco shop, the taco truck showed up today uh, for lunch outside of work. Man, that's my favorite thing. Like, that's an okay thing to do. They're not going to, th they might think you're weird, but that's okay. They know you. 
You can praise God for what he has done in creation. Number two, you can testify, you can practice testimony by sharing what God has done in Christ. Now, this is like the most like explicit way of testifying, right? It is the, it is the most dramatic way in which we will testify. It's, it's by sharing the gospel. It's by sharing the good news. As Christians, this is what we fundamentally believe. Man, we, Christians disagree on all kinds of stuff. End time stuff, church stuff, who should you baptize? Well, we understand you should only baptize people that believe in Jesus. And by baptize, it means you hold them underwater until they bubble. The baptism dunk, that's a baptism. You believe in Jesus. Name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's ba- but we have friends that would say, well, it doesn't really matter whether you dunk them or sprinkle them. Like, you can just sprinkle them. That's called baptism. We'd be like, oh, okay. So we disagree on a lot of stuff. But what Christians, right, what Orthodox Christians do believe in together is that Jesus Christ and him crucified is our message, that the love of God is most clearly seen in the sacrifice of Christ, that in the death of Jesus, we find salvation for sinners like us. When Jesus died, he took our place. We deserve death and punishment. We deserve the wrath of God, the justice of God. But instead, Jesus died on the cross to take all the punishment that we deserve so that we could get all of the grace that he could supply, the forgiveness of sins, peace with God. So yes, forgiveness, eternal life, this is central to us. 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, we wanted to know nothing. We preached nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is our message. In 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, Paul says, we proclaim Christ as Lord. Jesus is our message, right? So here we're talking about evangelism. Now, this is going to happen in different ways. I don't really care how you do it, right? Like some of you like a track. It's got like four steps, colors and pictures. Don't care. I don't do it that way. You do it that way. You doing it that way might be more effective than the way I do it. I don't know. Some of you just like to just have a conversation with people. It's kind of natural. Others of you go out into the park, and you, you'll like just like do open air kind of stuff. Some people will go door to door. Don't care. But sharing the gospel, explicitly sharing the gospel with people, letting them know that you are a sinner like me, and like me, you deserve God's judgment. But God loves sinners. <laughs> which is crazy. God doesn't love the beautiful. He loves the ugly. He he loves the undeserving, and he offers salvation to anyone who is willing to believe in Christ. You you, you preach the gospel to people. Yes, this is the, the most dramatic form of testimony. We share what God has done in Christ. And so, you know, what does this, what does this mean, right? Uh, it's what Paul says in Romans in Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Why would Paul say that? Why would would Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Why would he say that? Why would he have to say that? He says it because we're oftentimes ashamed. We might be a little embarrassed. It's a little embarrassing. Feel a little cringy to us. Like, ooh, power people are going to respond to this. I don't really know. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look like a religious weirdo and zealot. Paul says, listen, I'm not ashamed because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What is it that will penetrate hearts and minds? What is it that will tear down worldviews? What is it that will dismantle idols, that will change a person's heart? What is it? He says it's the preaching of the gospel. That's the only thing that works, the articulation of the faith. This is a, 
an important aspect of our testimony that we tell people about Christ in whatever capacity you are equipped to do. So how do we do testimonies? Well, you can share what God has done in creation, which is a, which is a pretty easy way to do it. You can share what God has done in Christ, which is a pretty dramatic way to do it. The third way to do it is to share what God has done in you. I know this is different, right? This is not what God has done for you. It is, but it's more than that. This is what God has done in you. This is probably what most people really think of when they think of testimony. Like it's the, it's, it's the, it's the change, the transformation, right? What God has done in you, you can think about, think about it like this. Uh, probably the things that would be most common for you to share if you're sharing what God is doing in you uh, is conviction, uh, conversion, and growth, Right, conviction, conversion, go those things. Like uh, it's and listen, it's not hard, and it doesn't have to be out of place to share with people in the church or outside of the church your conviction. Like I have really been convicted. I was doing this thing, and I felt okay about it. Actually, I felt pretty good about it. And then, uh, then God really changed my mind about it. Like I re. I didn't just realize it. He he showed me. He convicted me. I'm wrong in what I'm doing, and I need to change. Like, we all tell people, hey, listen, I learned a lesson. We're not afraid to tell people I changed my mind. I was doing one thing, and now I'm doing But for us as Christians, what we ought to say is, like, no, God convicted me. The Spirit, the Spirit put pressure on my heart and my mind to bring about a, a kind of, of change. This is what God does in us. We share our conversion, the conversion stories, right? And so for some people, the conversion story is, is a little more dramatic in its telling, right? Because somebody was like, you know, a skydiving crackhead who, you know, uh, worshiped Satan. Um, and so like, and like people are like, whoa, what a testament. And then they became a Christian uh, when somebody gave them a Bible at a striper concert or something. I don't know. And so they tell their testament. When I, when I was in Bible college, I had a professor who wanted you to jazz up your testimonies, right? He was like, oh, you got to have a good one. You don't have a good one. You got to spice it up. I'm not joking. That's what he said. Got to make it spicy, you know? And so uh, he was like, so tell me, you tell your testimony. And people would tell their testimony. And uh, he'd be like, oh, okay. Well, like you got to, you know, I mean, he didn't say it explicitly, but he was saying, start exaggerating. Make it exciting. And I remember, like, because I happened to have a testimony that he liked for whatever reason, because I was a skydiving Satanist who was smoking crack, I guess. And, uh, and he was like, and, so in, at the end of my testimony, we had to give a testimony class. I said, by the way, how many of, this freaked out the whole class, how many of y'all are virgins? It was a weird conversation to have. And like 90% of the, these Christian students raised their hand, and I went, that's a far better testimony of the power of God than anything I've said today. That's impossible. That's not, how would you possibly do that? That's, that's the power of God. How many here were converted before like the age of 10? All these people, I'm like, man, look at your faith is held up. You're in Bible college now. That's, a, that's the power of God. So listen, your conversion story is the story of your faith journey, right? And whether you were converted as a little kid or as a skydiving, crackhead, clown, Satanist, it doesn't matter. Your story is dramatic because it is, it is the story of the work of God in your life, taking you out of the realm of darkness into the realm of light, whether you were a little kid or an adult. We tell that story. And that's one way to do it. We talk about our growth, right? The change, the transformation, but here's the thing. It's really easy when telling the story or the work of God in us, and this is where it can go wrong. We will make it about us. And we've all heard those kind of testimonies where it becomes very much about the person. 
And so we have to be careful. We have to do what we see the apostles doing. When you're sharing what God has done in you, it is not about how much better you are now than you were before. It is fundamentally about what God can do and does do in the lives of sinners. That's what it's about. God is at work in sinners. And here's how you can really check yourself, and you can even see this in other people sharing testimonies. What's the dominant, to use a biblical word, vibe? Right? What's the, what's, that's not a biblical word, people. The vibe that you get, like what's the, what is the accompanying uh, sort of feeling? Uh, what's the sense of, uh, of, of what they're sharing? Is it gratitude or is it arrogance? Right, because if somebody is proud and you can see it and you, you know what it's like when you're feeling, like, what are you boasting in? Are you boast? Are you making much out of like who you are, what you've become, how much different you are? Or is the sentiment, that's the more biblical word, right, I guess, is the sentiment more of gratitude? Whoa, look at what God has done in me that I did not deserve. So look for that, right? Gratitude. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things are new. That should promote gratitude. Or Psalm 51. Listen to Psalm 51. Just listen to this, because I, I think this is relevant. Verses 10 through uh, 13. In Psalm 51, David is confessing his sin and repenting. Bad sin. Like epic, life-destroying, literally sin. So he's confessing this sin. And here's what it says in verse 10. Here's his desire. He's saying, he wants God to be at work in him. That's what we're talking about. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So he wants, he's praying that God would go to work in his life, right? It's a kind of testimony. Then he says this, then, after you've done work in me, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. In other words, he knows, Lord, when you have worked in me, then I can testify to that work and teach transgressors your ways. Let them know, do you see what he's done for me? He will do this for you too. Return to the Lord. So this is how testimony is supposed to work. We share what God has done in creation. We share what God has done in Christ. We share what God has done in us. Fourth way to share or to testify is to share what God has taught you. I like this because this does not has not this has nothing to do with uh, your it has everything to do with your particular life and your circumstances. But nobody is at a disadvantage here because when God teaches you, He teaches you through the ministry of His Word. What we're really talking about here is theology applied, right? We're, we're talking about what you learn from scripture. What is God teaching you as you read the word, as you go to church and you worship with God's people and you have the, the preaching and the reading and the singing and the praying? Maybe you're reading a book, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're just uh, hanging out with Christians and you're hearing something from them. What has God recently taught you that you can now testify and share with others? I used to, when I was a I used to do this a lot when I was a young Christian. I'd go to the mall. Remember malls? Malls were fun. I would go to the mall, and, uh, and 
I would find Christians, and you could always find the Christians because they had horrible T-shirts on them that said cheesy, almost blasphemous things about Jesus on them. Uh, we all wore them. And so uh, I would find the Christians, and I'd be like, hey, what's up, man? And anyways, I would ask the, and we knew kind of each other oftentimes, and I would ask them, what's God been teaching you lately? And some people were like, oh, wow, that's so crazy because I was just reading the Bible the other day, and God really, boom, he convicted me, he taught me something, and, I'm, and then they share what they, and then other people would look at me like I had, like I had asked them what the color of their underwear was. I didn't know, like, they were like, oh, my goodness, what are you talking about? And I'm like, did I ask something weird? And it was probably because for some people, especially if you don't have a relationship with them, it can be something that they're not prepared for, um, and it, maybe, maybe they're just unaccustomed to that question in and of itself. It's not a bad question to ask. It should be kind of a normal question that we ask. I think we can get there. But easier than asking somebody, what is God teaching you, is for you to simply share, hey, can I share something God's teaching me? And listen, it doesn't have to be weird. If everybody is sitting around and they're all talking and debating about how to properly smoke a brisket, you don't have to be like, you know, in the middle of, well, if, uh, technically, you know, you should use a certain kind of, and then you don't go, hey, you know what the Lord's been teaching me lately? And you start launching into like, oh, God taught me about the already not yet and the eschatological plan of the return of Christ. But, like people be like, what are you talking about? Like time and place, right? But the time and place varies, right? And it can come up suddenly. If there is nobody talking about anything, it's fair, it's fair game for you to say, you know, hey guys, listen, you're, you're my friends. Let me just tell you something God's been teaching me. That's great. People in the church can be greatly encouraged by this. You can share what God is teaching you. But for you to testify like this, you have to be listening. You have to be learning. I know some people say, like, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. Like, if somebody were to ask me, what's God been teaching you? I'm just blank. I have nothing. And listen, here, here's, there's, a couple of, there's only a couple of options here. Um, number one, you're not listening, right? So you, maybe you're in the Word, uh, or you're reading the Bible, but you're not paying attention, right? Or you're hearing a message, you're not paying attention. Or you're reading a book. Or maybe, you know what? Maybe you're not in the Word. Maybe you are neglecting the very means by which God speaks. That's another possibility. But there's another one. And I think this is more common than most people think. Oftentimes the reason we have nothing to say and we think it's because God hasn't been teaching us anything, it's because we haven't learned how to hold on to the things that God teaches us. You know what it's like. God teaches you something that's pretty cool, and 10 minutes later, it's just gone, right? I can't remember what I preached on last week. Somebody brought it up. I have no idea. I'm like, oh. And then he finally said, like, oh, yeah, the Christian life. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That was good. That was good for me. I like that. That was helpful. I needed to hear that message. So, like, honestly, sometimes we just have to do a, we have to learn how to hold on to what we're learning. You're in the word. God is at work. He speaks. He, he convicts. He teaches. Things get clear. Now, how do you take that with you throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month? God taught you something. You want to hold on to it. So maybe it's because you're not reading the Bible. Maybe it's because you're lazy. Or maybe it's because you just haven't figured out how to hold on to the thing when God finally teaches you. That's very possible. So that's where we encourage journaling. Write it down, man. Write it down. Put it in your pocket. Put it on your phone. Once you do that, you can share it with other people. The more you share it, the more likely you are to remember it. Sharing what God has taught you is a great way to testify. So uh, listen, Christians, uh, if your faith is not being shared, 
if you are not testifying. Um, you can have real faith. You can really believe. You can be accurate. You can have theological precision. But if you are not verbalizing, vocalizing your faith, it's like it's not getting oxygen, and it will grow weak. Your faith is designed to be shared. Your, not just the faith, your faith. You are, you are designed to testify. And as we do this, our faith is actually strengthened, as are the other people. So yes, we have every opportunity imaginable inside the church. We should be sharing our testimonies in the church when we have the opportunity. We should be sharing our testimonies outside the church. Don't be afraid to invoke the name of God. Be proud of God, right, of who he is and what he has done. Boast in God, not in yourself. Boast in God. Let people know that God is good. And ask yourself, is God, is God worth talking about? Is God worth boasting in? You get that new car you want, you'll be talking about that. You find out the new season of your favorite TV show is going to drop, you talk about that. You get better Wi-Fi, 300 down per second, you start talking about that. We talk about the things that are helpful, entertaining. Isn't what is glorious worth talking about and motivating? And not only that, isn't God worth talking about? But isn't the good of your brothers and your sisters and the good of your neighbors, isn't their good something that should make us willing to testify for their benefit as well as our own. And listen, if you're not a Christian and you're like, oh, man, like this guy's telling Christians to talk more. I feel like Christians talk a lot as it is. Um, listen, Christians get it wrong. Like we, we overstate things sometimes. We're not always accurate. Sometimes we're more zealous than we are accurate. Um, and sometimes we're more accurate than we are zealous. So it looks like we don't really care. We just have hard opinions about things. Um, if you're not a Christian, let me just encourage you in this. The reason I'm encouraging our people to testify is because we are like you, broken, sinful, and God is the healer, the savior, who doesn't just accept us as we are. He loves us as we are and changes us in our hearts and our minds and makes us acceptable to him through Jesus. We have this, you can have this, we want you to have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with him. Well, your testimony is worth sharing, but it's only worth sharing if it's, if it's about God and not yourself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word and we pray that you would teach us, that you would ground us in humility that we, we would only boast in you and that our, our unity and excitement would be in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.